Won't you celebrate with me what I have shaped into a kind of life? Welcome to the Poetry Magazine podcast. I'm Ashley M. Jones. One thing I know to be absolutely true is that I am made possible by the poetry and spirit of Lucille Clifton. Although I never met her on earth, Clifton has been one of the most important teachers I've ever had. This week, I had the opportunity to chat with one of Miss Clifton's daughters, Sydney Clifton. She's the president of the Clifton House, a new endeavor to transform her childhood home in Baltimore into a gathering place for writers and artists. We talked about our mothers, our impenetrable connection to family, the way art can open up the world, and how we have to honor our journeys, no matter how winding they might be. It was unreal for me to get to spend time with Sydney, and what a joy to also get to invite Miss Clifton's poems into the room to join the conversation. What a celebration indeed. Well, Sydney, thank you so much for agreeing to talk to me and for being just so glowing. People can't see you, but I am just illuminated looking at you. Um, So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. And vice versa. I mean, I was completely excited about having this conversation with you today. Thank you. So I did want to start by playing Miss Clifton's poem, Sisters. This is a poem called Sisters for Elaine Phillip on her birthday. And it was written for my sister. It was published in Essence magazine. And it was a trying to tell my sister who we both were. And and she loved it. My sister bought every Essence that came out that month and she was very happy, which makes me happy. I also like to read it in places where I see my other sisters. And I think you'll understand why. Sisters for Elaine Phillip on her birthday. Me and you be sisters. We be the same. Me and you coming from the same place. Me and you be greasing our legs, be touching up our edges. Me and you be scared of rats, be stepping on roaches. Me and you come running high down Purdy Street one time and mama laugh and shake her head at me and you. Me and you got babies, got 35, got black, let our hair go back. Be loving ourselves. Be loving ourselves. Be sisters. Only where you sing, I poet. I just have to say, hearing her voice does something to me, and I'm sure it does something to you as well, Mm. but it's impossible to not begin celebrating everything as soon as I hear um, her voice and her words. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. So when when I think about poetry and poems like this one, And when I think about being a Black person, which I think is the same as poetry, we are a poetic people. Everything we do, everything we create is poetry. I think about where I first learned about love and loving Blackness and loving sisters and brothers and mothers and fathers. I think about my family and how I always feel this sense of comfort that's really unexplainable. And I think about that same feeling I get when I read your mother's work. I feel welcomed and comforted and supported and seen Mm -hmm. in ways that are hard to trap. And so I'm wondering for you, where did you first learn that love, that love of 
sisterhood or family, um, familyhood, whatever that means mm-hmm. to you. Mm-hmm. And it was, I, I never, I don't remember a time where I did not have that sense of familyhood. I agree with you 100% that blackness and poetry and sisterhood are, and familyhood feel the same. And the fact that mom always talked about being a poet being a way that you walk in the world as much as it is about the way that you translate what it is you see and feel and intuit. For me, the smells of my family, the sounds of, you know, there there were many of us, you know, I'm the oldest of six kids. So there were, (laughs) I was always surrounded by folk. But even before my siblings arrived, my parents always made space for other folks. And so for me, Blackness and family was just the way we were, is just the way our way of being. And I equated that with being part of a family that made that space for others and profoundly and intentionally did so. Yeah, it's so incredible the things that our families can open up for us. Recently, as I've gotten older, I know I'm a lot of people say, don't call yourself old, you're just 30, but I've never been 30 before in life, so it's you know new to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> but as I've gotten older, I think back to the way that I was raised and what a treasure it is to have a family mm. who instills that spirit in you to make room and even to make room for yourself. Yes. You know, I think about how my family um, always made sure that we knew we were worthy of everything. Mm-hmm. Black as we were, we were worthy of every single thing. We could see ourselves in every place we could imagine any future for ourselves. And that has really been so important to me um, as a poet and Mm -hmm. as a person in the world, which we know is a cruel place. And even as a writer, it can be hard, you know, to navigate this literary landscape, which is very committed to exclusion, to making sure that we can't just be ourselves. And so, like I said, I think your mom's poetry and her presence pushes against all of that, always. She shows up as herself all the time. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. That's Mom showed up the way she was, where she was, honestly, authentically, always. And that did give permission for others to do the same. It did validate the voices and, again, make space for everyone as they were. And also sort of challenged, I think, the hierarchy to either open the doors and accept it, as the the one poem she had, but may as well open the door, my child, if truth is furiously knocking. And I think that she did that with her poems as well. Um, and I have to tell you, before you and I met, a couple of years ago, I was introduced to your work and more than one person said, you know what, I hear Lucille in her. And I have to, I don't know if I've never told you that, <clears throat> excuse me, or if anyone's ever told you that, but own that, sis, because it's true. So you are, you are walking the walk as well. Sydney, you're not going to make me cry on here oh, yes. today. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> you're not going to do it. I'm, saying, I'm telling you, <laughs> sis. <laughs> Wow. It's true. And I don't even really cry. Like, mm, that is poetry right there. Mm. That's what poetry does. Mm -hmm. It opens doors for us to walk through, walk into rooms. You know, I feel like your mom has 
allowed me continually to walk into rooms, mm-hmm. whether that's just the room of my own self-love right, or the room of St. Mary's College of Maryland, <laughs> where, my goodness, I mean, I can't really talk about that without starting to tear up. And yes. we've already, I've already done it once. <laughs> we can't, <laughs> can't do it twice. <laughs> but it's just so important, especially as a Black woman, like, yes. It can't be said enough how much it means to see Black women doing things, existing, you know, um, even just me here looking at you exist mm-hmm. gives me permission to continue existing and reminds me of who I am and what I'm here to do here in yes. every sense of that word, you know, here Absolutely. on this podcast, here in Alabama, here on this planet, mm-hmm. you know, anyway, the spirit is taking over today. Yes. Yes. <laughs> on that i wonder if we could switch gears a little and play cutting greens by your mom yes this is a poem called cutting greens i've read it before and uh i'm pleased to see that what happened that time didn't happen this time when i read it before i said cutting greens and people laughed To which I said, cutting greens, greens aren't funny, greens are good. This was a strange poem because in the middle of of cutting them, I began thinking about what I was doing. And it suddenly struck me as strange that I was, you know, usually you mix greens. Some people may not know that, but you do. And uh, I was thinking about, look at me mixing these greens and they may not want to be mixed. And I thought that was a strange thing for me to do. Well, anyhow, cutting greens. Curling them around, I hold their bodies in obscene embrace, thinking of everything but kinship. Collards and kale strain against each strange other, away from my kiss-making hand and the iron bed pot. The pot is black, the cutting board is black, my hand And just for a minute, the greens roll black under the knife, and the kitchen twists dark on its spine, and I taste in my natural appetite the bond of live things everywhere. That is one of my favorite poems for so many Mm. reasons. One reason is because I love collard greens. I mean, (laughs) there's no way around that, you know. (laughs) I'm Southern. um, I'm Black. I know those things don't necessarily mean I have to like them, but they are a huge part of my world. And the image of her cutting them, too. I I wrote a poem myself about my own mother cutting greens. And Mm. there's just something about that, you know, watching your mom making those leaves into something else. I don't even know how to put it into words, really. And thankfully, she put it into some words, you know, for us. But... I think about how she's able to zero in on those moments, even slicing those greens and how there's blackness everywhere in the kitchen, in the greens, in the pot, Mm -hmm. the kiss making hand. um, And how she takes us to that ending line where she thinks about the bond of live things everywhere, Mm -hmm. which is such a huge idea. You know, we, we put so many divisions up between us and even to think of oneself as bonded to a collard green you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that, that's a very, mm-hmm. I think, a pointed political statement about equity and compassion 
and she got there through greens. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it is hard. I mean, we're black people. Yes. It's hard to feel bonded to some of the live things. Yes. That do things, you know, to us. Exactly. Exactly. And of course, being bonded doesn't mean excusing them. That's another thing your mom does teach me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because although her work clearly shows that she feels a deep empathy for everybody, mm-hmm. she is also quick to be like, but actually, let me tell you about yourself, though. Yes. Don't don't act like I don't know, you know, what you are doing and what you have done. Yes. So, yeah, th- this is what poetry does. It just takes you on on tangents. Sydney. Oh, That's what absolutely. it does. <laughs> and, it, and it's not even a tangent. I mean, <laughs> um, so as I said, when I read this poem, Cutting Greens, I think about my mom and my grandma and just that magical black womanness um, that is just, I feel so lucky every day that I wake up and I'm able to be a black woman. I mean, it's truly a gift. Like, mm-hmm. if I ever come back, I forget who says this, um, but if I ever come back, I want to come back black or blacker like you know someone says that and i hope i can remember at some point who said it but um that's how i feel for certain but i also want to zero in on this idea of um looking at our mothers like mm-hmm. although this moment that she um illustrates in cutting greens is one of those moments that i'm sure you were able to watch her you know do but is there a moment that you can think of that is even untrappable by poetry some moment of her magic small or big, um, that has stayed with you? Wow. Um, there are probably many. And honestly, Ashley, there are, some of them are so fleeting. It's quite interesting. Um, they're really the small moments. And I remember a lot of it is the sound of her voice. A lot of it are sort of moments where even I at the time sort of stood back and went, whoa. And some of them are the ferocity of her as a mother. It was really interesting because there are many things that one could say to Lucille Clifton. There are many things that she observed and was very gracious about. But you did not mess with her kids. And you did not mess with her husband. Period. End. Full stop. The example I have was that uh, my siblings and I all went to the same elementary school. And once there was a, uh, the vice principal of the school was not, not a very kind older Caucasian woman who'd sent my brother home when he insisted that he was supposed to wait for one of our sisters to go home. She said, nope, you got to go home. So he came home. He was very upset. And the gracious Lucille Clifton called the school and in a very, um, I don't even know the adjective for it. Basically cursed the woman out and told her if she ever, not even ever, ever spoke to one of her children in that manner again, oh, this is a PG-13-ish thing, she said she would kick her ass all down Alto Road. (laughs) Now, I never heard my mother speak that way again. I don't think anyone ever stepped to her children that way again. But at that moment, we knew that mom was, you know, fierce, but that level of ferocity that level of anger that she must have felt and fear that she must have felt that something was happening to her baby. Oh my goodness, never again. Now, I have to say, we were tickled as children <laughs> because we felt like, oh, if you mess with us, she will. And, you know, it was very, so that, that was one of the things that, was, that stayed with me, was mom's ferocity as a mother. But also her deep, deep loyalty. And one of the Oh, gosh. Um, moments that, that stood out for me 
also was actually when my father died. My father died of lung cancer. He was 49 when he passed. And that was, it was impossible. He was Superman and that, that lung cancer took him so young was really difficult. And I remember when the coroner came to take my dad's body to the morgue and my mom was just absolutely broken and distraught. And so she didn't want to watch them take him away. So she left the room and then she, she took a deep breath and stood herself up and said, no, I have never left him once and I'm not going to leave him now. Sorry. And she marched back in that room and watched them fold dad up like origami, put him in the body bag and put him in the back of the van. But that, that level, sorry, that level of loyalty and bravery and courage. And she was like defying death almost. She's like, nope. You are not going to break me today. I'm standing with my husband. That was a big deal. But then, you know, also, this level of joy when my son was born, my first son. <laughs> she and my dad came to the hospital, and, you know, I had a relatively quickish labor. And I was sort of, not wasn't even out of it. I was kind of giddy after he was born. And there, the uh, nurses were wheeling me back into the room. And she, before we even got to my room, she was there. She was standing in the hallway. She was saying, that's my baby. So she came. So she walked over to where I was. And, you know, she got to hold the baby. And just the look on her, oh, my goodness. She was glowing. It was beautiful to see. And I don't know if she was ready to be a grandma, but... Just that, I, I, I don't even know if she, if she knew what that meant to me, to see that level of joy with her. Mm -hmm. So the fact that this was a woman who was intuitive and empathetic and compassionate and had the capacity for the depths of all these feelings said to me as a Black woman and as a mother that... This was a valuable thing to share with my children, that this, this, the capacity for that depth of joy and grief and all of these things is a powerful gift for, for children to see, and especially f for my daughters to see. Um, I have two sons and two daughters. It's really important that my daughters understand what being a whole Black woman is like, what that means, what it looks like, and how this shows up. So again, the quick answer to your question is yes. <laughs> I thank you for the long answer. Um, wow, that's so incredible. Um, mm. And I'm so glad that you were able to share those moments with <clears throat> both of your parents. I have yet to have any children myself, but I can imagine how special um, that moment must have been to see her so happy. Yes, it makes me look forward, honestly, to that moment in my own life. Yes. It's not on the horizon, period. <laughs> it's, it's really not. But, <laughs> but when it comes, I will think back to this moment. It <laughs> Absolutely, sis. <laughs> um, and I also love the story about your mom cursing out the teacher. Uh, it makes me think of my parents immediately. Nicest people ever. My parents are so kind and, you know, they don't fight people, whatever. But if you mess at all, even if you think about, if you even smell the idea of messing with us, it's over for you. It's actually over for you. <laughs> and people are always surprised in that same way. They think, oh, I thought you were so quiet and 
And they're like, well, I am, but this is what you've done. So I don't. Yes. What did you expect? (laughs) You know. Exactly. (laughs) That's wonderful. I love that. (laughs) I love it. It actually segues perfectly, actually, into this idea of her ferocity that I've been thinking about Mm. a lot um, recently. And I want to start that conversation by playing her piece, My Poem. After readings, I often get people, you often get people asking you questions. And one of the questions that I get asked is, uh, oh, variations on why are you so filled with hate? That sort of thing. Uh, Well, this is my poem. A love person from love people. Out of the African sun under the sign of cancer. Whoever see my midnight smile seeing star apple and mango from home. Whoever take me for a negative thing, his death be on him like a skin, and his skin be his heart's revenge. And there it is, right there. I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it's right there. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, when I hear this poem, and um, also the poems, uh, Why Some People Be Mad at Me Sometimes, mm-hmm. and Note to Myself, when I think of all these poems, I think about how Miss Clifton was clearly very passionate and revolutionary and political and pointedly so. Mm-hmm. But I also think about how people sometimes, uh, maybe not reduce, maybe it is reduced, but they might not experience her that way or they they feel like like the example of people laughing with cutting greens. Mm-hmm. I feel that sometimes she isn't in those conversations of those poets who are, I guess, more traditionally ferocious in that way, if that makes any sense. I think that's too bad because I think it's obvious that she had that same power. You think about somebody like Sister Sonia Sanchez, for example, Mm -hmm. who is somebody who is going to, you know, scream you down into where you belong, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And she is also impacted by someone like Miss Clifton, who maybe was not screaming in the traditional sense, but one of my students used the word overwhelm. Mm -hmm. She overwhelmed these systems of oppression with her work. Mm -hmm. Her ability to, you know, overwhelm, I think, stemmed some partly from the fact that she was intrinsically shy. And so writing was helpful for her, was a way for her to make those statements that may have been um, more political and radical and, and, and pointed. But also, I think part of her ability to do that, part of the, the reason, part of what drove her being more stealth in those statements was because she was a mom and she was a, her, her being a mother and her being a nurturer. And in a way, a protector, actually, drove her tendency in some poems to lay the foundation to create the womb in which you felt comfortable and you recognized that you were protected and loved. But in that place of protection and love, I'm going to tell you something really difficult. But you're also going to understand that I love you and that's why I'm telling you this difficult thing. That's why it's necessary for you to hear this. But also she was, at a, after a certain point, I think, in her career, when she felt very solid in her Lucille Cliftonness. The fact that not everybody was going to understand was perfectly fine. Mm. She lost zero sleep over people not understanding or people misconstruing or people's feelings being hurt. But, but she was also open to having a conversation about that with people. It took energy to have to explain. And there were some days where she was like, I'm just not going to explain today. 
<laughs> Today is not a day I'm going to explain. I do not have the capacity to be your bomb today, which was also perfectly fine and and at times necessary. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things that you said that have resonated with me. Um, I want to start with the permission that um, your mom has given me and so many of us. You know, I feel like whenever I mention your mom's name anywhere, and I mention it so often because whenever somebody asks me that dreaded question, who do you read? Who's your favorite poet? What's your favorite poem? After I kind of go, okay, you should know not to ask a poet this question. I always say, you know what? I'm just going to say what I always say because it's always true. <laughs> Lucille Clifton, all day long. That's my favorite poet, period. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's so many of us who feel that way. And so whenever I do say her name in those rooms, if there's a lot of people in the room or in the Zoom room in our new, you know, reality. There's always this collective, mm, you know, moment. <laughs> right, right. Because people know, you know, people know. <laughs> and she's been teaching us how to know for so long. Teaching me, I'll bring it just to me. She's been teaching me mm -hmm. how to know for a very long time. Mm -hmm. I know when I found her work, I um, was so thirsty just for a voice that I could see myself in. You know, growing up in the very Eurocentric literary education system, you just don't see yourself as often as you would like. And even if there are Black authors taught, it's not a full spectrum of us. And so we're made to try right. to fit into right. the, the crumbs that we're given. And so when I found her work, I just felt this sense of relief and like, oh, I can write. Right. I can write. Yes. For like a yes. whole year when I was in college, I wrote without using capital letters because I was like, I'm going to be like Lucille Clifton. So I'm not using any capital letters. She didn't. And she's, you know, an angel. So I will not either. Right. <laughs> and so anyway, I just have, have always thought about this idea of the permissions that we receive and the permissions that we give. And so I guess I want to ask you, you know, how has that idea of permission worked in your life? Of course, maybe from your parents, but what are ways that you try to pass that forward also? Well, I think... First, receiving it from my parents, and especially my mom, I think. Both parents walked in the world this way, that they were fully themselves. They were honest and flawed and passionate and compassionate and made mistakes and fell down and got up. And that didn't diminish their value as people. And I think that mom was very intentional about saying that. Because, you know, you can often, sort of the way you do with poems, you can see this action and you can interpret it however you like. So, But being told that we had value in all of our flaws and oddnesses, you know, because mom was an odd child and I felt slightly odd and slightly outsider-ish as a young person. And feeling that, you know, mom supported all of my endeavors all of her kids' endeavors, even though there were six of us, we weren't like, you know, the group. We all were individual people with individual stuff. So I think that was, that felt like permission to be, you know, weird outsider artsy girl. That's, that's the way it showed up for me. That is like my whole thing. <laughs> like I also, <laughs> growing up, I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I'm like other people exactly. <laughs> you know? And, you know, for Black girls, like it's really... It, it, as I said before, it's everything to see somebody else living mm. that life. Yes. I'm one of four, and all of us are artsy. 
little black people, you know, and uh-huh. <laughs> it's, it's really, it means everything to have a support system in that way. Mm-hmm. But also the representation of, of having someone like you to say, yeah, I was a strange or a weird little black girl. It's like, it tells my little inner Ashley, oh, that was okay. You know, there, there were others of you. Absolutely. <laughs> you <know? laughs> so thinking about permission and the permission that our parents and foremothers gave to us to be those odd, artsy little Black girls. Mm. Can we talk Mm -hmm. a little about the permission that Lucille received? Miss Clifton, excuse me, goodness, Miss Clifton. That's it. So sorry, I'm Southern. You can't can't just be telling people, saying people's first names like that. (laughs) I understand. (laughs) Thank you. Um, The story, the direct story about permission, and I'm going to possibly botch some of the ages, but I believe mom was maybe eight, seven or eight years old. And there was a Christmas play at her church and she was supposed to speak and she got up on on the stage and she couldn't remember her lines and she just got nervous. And her mother, who was in the audience, went up to the stage, took her by the hand and said and pronounced my baby doesn't have to do anything she doesn't want to do. And she took her off that stage. And she had that same feeling that I had when I when my mother cussed the woman out. It's like, wow, my mom has now given me permission to not do something I don't want to do. She has allowed me to not feel feel shame about that moment. And that was that was significant in her life. And I d- you know, don't know if that drove her uh, ability to give permission, but she, I would imagine so, because she absolutely, in her ferocity of uh, defending her children and, and giving us permission to be who we were, also did give us a permission to not do things we didn't want to do. Yeah, that story is, as you were telling it, I remembered reading about it in an interview that she did. And again, it just makes me think about my parents, too, who always stood up for us in, in a similar way. Mm. And I think it's it's incredible that you've been able to preserve that permission giving throughout the generations as well. Mm-hmm. And hopefully all of us can keep it going because it's really true for all of us. Anything we don't want to do, we don't actually have to do that thing. Right, right. <laughs> like, we don't. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And just yes. hearing that permission, I'm sure, you know, in the mind of the young Miss Clifton, but also me encountering that phrase in college and me re-encountering it out of college and trying to give myself permission to even exist as a writer, you know, or as a person, whatever, it's, it's incredibly powerful. Right. And it does make me think about, about celebration mm-hmm. and how that permission allows us to celebrate who we are. Mm-hmm. And so I would like us to listen to Miss Clifton's poem, Won't You Celebrate With Me? Won't you celebrate with me what I have shaped into a kind of life? I had no model. Born in Babylon, both non-white and woman, what did I see to be except myself? I made it up here on this bridge between starshine and clay, my one hand holding tight my other hand. Come celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and has failed. Here I didn't want to ask something 
too complicated because I feel like I've done that um, for this entire talk. I just wanted to say, you know, in the spirit of celebration, it is 2021. Mm-hmm. You know, it's Sunday. We're here breathing mm-hmm. alive. Yes. What what can we celebrate? What are you celebrating? I agree with you that it's as simple as look at us having listened to us having this conversation. I get to hear my mama's voice. It gets me every time. I have the capacity to recognize small beauty in small things. I celebrate all of that. And I think if we give ourselves the permission to recognize the miracle of us being here, everything is celebratory. You know, not only the things that tried to kill me and failed, but even the fact that, you know, I have a driver's license and I can go somewhere if I want to. You know, the things that we take for granted, nothing should be taken for granted. Absolutely nothing. And all of that I celebrate. Sydney Clifton is the president of the Clifton House and an Emmy-nominated producer of animated and live-action content. She works as the senior vice president of animation and mixed media at the Jim Henson Company. You can read and listen to all of the Lucille Clifton poems you heard today on the Poetry Foundation website. The Poetry Magazine podcast is produced by Rachel James. The music in this episode came from the Chicago-born record label International Anthem. If you're enjoying the show, please let us know. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not yet a subscriber to the magazine, there's a special rate for podcast listeners. For a limited time, you can get a full year of the magazine for $20. That's 11 book-length issues for just $20. Visit poetrymagazine.org slash podcast offer to subscribe. That's poetrymagazine.org slash podcast offer. All right, that's it, y'all. Until next time, be safe, be well, and thanks for listening. <laughs>